sometimes we need that very thing. We need rest. Our prayer today is that you would find some rest here, but also that you would truly see God as he continues to move and as he continues to work and to do his thing. Um, Any of you own a trampoline? Raise your hand. You're not very safe people. Um, Our neighbors had one when we were growing up. It had no netting. It had no cover on the springs. Every other string was, uh, spring was actually broken, but we didn't care. Um, you jumped on whatever you could get. Um, we have a trampoline in our house, and it's pretty cool because last night at 10 o'clock, even though, it, you know, because it's still daylight in the summer, I love how in the winter here it gets dark at 2 p.m. In the summer, it's, it's 11.30, it feels like, because um, you can't get your kids to go to sleep. Do I hear a parent with a hallelujah? Like, go to bed. It's daylight. I don't care. We're jumping on the trampoline. It's got uh, that opportunity that it gives to us as a family to be together. And one of the games that, if you don't know, there's a game out there you play if you have a trampoline. It's called Dead Man, Dead Man, Come Alive. Anybody know it? You got to get out more, people. You got to get out more. One of the things that you do with Dead Man, Dead Man, Come Alive is you lay on the ground. You go one, two, three, four, five. You get up and you have to keep your eyes closed. And you have to go around, you have to try to find someone on the trampoline as they run around and touch them. If you touch them, then they have to close their eyes and try to touch everybody else. All right? It's it's a lot of fun to be able to do because my kids mock me when I do it because I'm running around and everything else. It's a really bad game to play if you don't have a net. Um, If you you haven't figured that out, I'll tell you more about that later. Um, So... You're running around, and I figured out a much easier way to play the game, Dead Man, Dead Man, Come Alive, is I have figured out how to squint without them knowing that my eyes are open. It's, I mean, I've ruined it this morning by telling them this now, um, but that's what I kind of do, and it's, the game's a lot easier. When you, <laughs> when you go figure, right? All of a sudden, you can see them, and you just go touch them real quick, and then you're done. And today, we get to talk about a guy who finally, I think he was walking around life, jumping on the trampoline, trying to touch whatever he could touch with his eyes closed, and God came in, and all of a sudden, he opened his eyes. And things got a lot better for him. Things got a lot easier for him. That's my prayer for you today, is that... Some of you probably feel like your life right now is the trampoline and your eyes are closed and you're running around everywhere and people are jumping around you and it's making you stumble sometimes and fall down and you're doing everything you can not to fall out of the one sliver of opening on the net and hit face down on the ground and you're doing everything you can not to be that person. And yet all of a sudden my prayer is that God would open your eyes enough to see the greatness of who he is. Because today, as we're walking through this series named Encounter, we're looking at various people throughout Scripture who encountered Jesus, and then we're able to examine. We're looking at the response that they had to Jesus and the transformation that they either had or did not have because of that encounter. Last week, we were able to to preach about Pontius Pilate, and he encountered Jesus, but his response wasn't very good. Because of the transformation was limited because he so often wanted what he wanted rather than seeing what he could have in lieu of who God is. 
And so we get to explore that today, and it's in John chapter 1. Can I invite you to turn to John chapter 1 with me? John chapter 1, I'm going to run through this story. It's at the very end of John chapter 1, verses 43 through 51. We're looking at a guy by the name of Nathaniel. A lot of you may not know him, but Nathaniel also, uh, by many scholars, we assume that he's also Bartholomew, uh, one of the 12 disciples. And so here he is, and as we look at him this morning, um, we're going di- to discover somebody who encountered uh, Jesus, and I think many of us can relate to him. So here is from John chapter 1, verse 43 through 51. And it reads as the following, and I want to read all of it right now so you can kind of have a better understanding of what's happening as you hear us walk through the passage today. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip, and he said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethesda, the city of Andrew. Bethesda was a fishing village off the Sea of Galilee. So there's the city of Andrew and Peter. Those guys are brothers, if you don't already know. Peter is the guy who Jesus says, I'm going to build my rock. Right? Build my church on this rock. Here it is. Boom. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Now listen to this. This is what he calls out. So here's Philip. He's speaking to Nathanael. He sees him. He's already following him. He says, hey, we found this guy. Nathaniel would have known the history here and some of the prophecies and everything else is unfolding. And he says, hey, I think we, we, we found this guy. And, and here's his, his first response isn't, "Woo!" His first response, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Anything? Give me something. Philip said to him, here's his response. Philip, here's Nathaniel responding in such a negative way. And here's Philip. He just says, hey, just come and see. Just come and see. And so Jesus, as he's coming, he sees Nathanael, and he says, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael says to him in verse verse 48, How do you know me? And so Jesus answers him, and he says the following, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him in response, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. And Jesus said, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? (laughs) You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So just prior to this, what you have is you have John the Baptist. All right? John the Baptist is considered to be the forerunner of Jesus Christ. Here's John the Baptist, and he's been baptizing in the Jordan River. In where? Judea. And so there he is. He's baptizing John the Baptist. What you find is even in Matthew chapter 3, you find John the Baptist baptizing Jesus there. Jesus came and said, you need to baptize me. He says, no, I'm not worthy to even untie your sandals. He says, you need to do this. And so John the Baptist says, okay. So even Jesus then is being baptized. That's what's unfolding right then. And at the time, Andrew is a disciple of John the Baptist. And then all of a sudden, Andrew hears John Say, hey, this is the Lamb of God about Jesus. And so Andrew's like, oh, wow, I'm not going to follow John anymore. I want to follow Jesus because even Andrew, I mean, even John is recognizing this is the Lamb of God. So now he's wanting to go and to follow Jesus. 
We find this, John chapter 1, verse 35, right before I started reading, same chapter. So here's Andrew, looks like another guy as well. We think that that other person that's being spoken of here is Philip. And the two of them are following Jesus now instead of John. Andrew then tells his brother, Peter, and so he begins to follow him as well. Now, all of these people from the Bethesda area, that's a fishing village. These guys are fishermen. And now Jesus Christ has looked at them and says, come and follow me. So that's what they're going to do. They're going to follow Jesus. Well, as they're traveling and they're on the way right now, they're going to Cana. Maybe you remember about that. The first miracle Jesus ever performed, wedding at Cana, turning water into, yes, he would have been from Michigan. And so all of a sudden, he's going on this journey, and you find Philip, he sees Nathaniel, who he would have already known, and he begins to talk to him. In fact, you can see, you know how much I love maps? It gives me a bearing on scripture. You can see a map here that'll come up. Uh, You've got Bethesda right up there, home of Andrew, Peter, James, John, and Philip on the Sea of Galilee. You got Canaan, you got Nazareth, you got Jesus being baptized earlier um, by John there on the Jordan River. And so here they are. Um, now, right below where Jesus would have probably been baptized, you got the Dead Sea, which means there's no fishing there, of course. And so they would have done all their fishing up in the Sea of Galilee. Bethesda is that fishing village that I was speaking about. And so they're all in this region. They're making this journey. All of a sudden, you've got Nathaniel being approached by a friend and saying, hey, we found the guy. We found the guy. You need to come and follow him. Follow him. He's, he, follow him. Now, we also know that during that time period, That's what people would have done. They would have come and they would have followed a rabbi, which is a great teacher. They would have followed him because they wanted to learn as much from the rabbi as possible. So they would have joined him and they would have left everything behind and they would have gone to to follow this person, right? Um, Maybe some of you have heard of just different videos that are out there, anything else, dust of the rabbi. Like you want to follow so closely behind your rabbi, behind your teacher that you pick up their dust, that you get dirty from them even. That's what you want to be able to do. And so we see that very thing happening. Well, as Philip finds Nathaniel, he calls out to him. And the Old Testament, he's referring to the Old Testament here with Moses. We found the guy, Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. Now we know that the Old Testament is clear that the Messiah is going to be from Bethlehem. Um, you can, one of the places you're going to find that is in Micah chapter 5, verse 2. Micah chapter 5, verse 2 there in the Old Testament. We know that he's going to be from Bethlehem. But here, all this is being unfolded before Nathaniel. And for whatever reason, Nathaniel responds to Philip's announcement, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Verse 46. Now, I don't know exactly. I don't think any scholar really knows exactly what it is with Nathaniel and Nazareth. I don't know if there's like this rivalry you know, it'd be kind of like a Jenison Hudsonville rival, like, right? Or even worse, Michigan, Michigan State rivalry. Anybody, and I don't understand all of it. Anybody here, did any of you go to Michigan? Raise your hand. Anybody? Okay, God bless you. Um, anybody, Michigan State, may God bless you too. I'll make it equal footing here. Right, there's this rivalry where some people, right, they even, if one of you pulls for one and one pulls for the other, they say, it's a house what? A house divided. It's so intense. we got to know who's going to win the next baseball game. I don't even know if they play baseball, though, so that's just football. 
And there's this, I don't know if it's that rivalry sense. All of a sudden, Nathaniel calls out, and I don't think we're ever going to fully know, but he gets, and can anything good come from there? The thing that makes sense to me is I think Nathaniel was probably one of those pessimist, glass half empty guys. Maybe you know one of those people, and, and if you haven't figured out, I'm a big vision guy. I, I'm already, I truly, I've already told you, I really think this needs to have a retractable roof. Um, and I'm thinking all kinds of other things. We're not going to do that, by the way. It's not spending God's resources healthy. Um, but I'm a big vision guy. We could do this. We could do this. And then I've got some friends who are like, Joel, that's just aggressive, and that doesn't make sense. And so I'm just like, oh, well, thank you, Mr. Wet Blanket. Right? You know those people, and we need them in our lives, by the way, but they just automatically, they see the problem with everything. Anybody married to that person? Don't raise your hand. That's rhetorical. Right? But you know those people. They used to drive me crazy, but now I just figured out that they can actually understand some of the vision. Then all of a sudden, they're the ones who actually make the vision happen. And so here's Nathaniel. Maybe he's that guy. He's a true skeptic. He sees the problem with something. He sees the doubt before he sees the possibility. Maybe you're someone who sees the problem before you see the possibility. And so, all of a sudden, Jesus, after he's already said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip says, man, listen, do me a favor. Don't predetermine who Jesus can be. That's really what he's doing. Have you predetermined? This is from a couple weeks. I'm going to bring this out. A couple weeks ago, I mentioned this. Have you predetermined who Jesus can be? Because right now, Nathaniel's already predetermining by geography who Jesus can be. How ridiculous is it to assume how God can use someone by where they're from? Really? That's how we want to limit God? Just because someone is from Granville or Wyoming or Zealand? Here's what I know. God can use anybody who has surrendered their heart to him in amazing ways, and that includes you. It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter where you've been born. It doesn't ma- none of that matters. It doesn't matter where you went to school. God is in the business of taking hearts that have been surrendered to him and using them to grow the kingdom of God. I'm in. That's some good news, guys. And so, all of a sudden, what you find is Philip coming, and he just says, man, I don't know why you went that direction. Can anything good come from there? But he just, here's his response. Just come and see. Just come and see for yourself. Nathaniel, Philip was asking Nathaniel. Nathaniel was being asked to judge Jesus by what he discovered of him, not by what he was told of him. And there is a difference between the two. And so many people today, they're living out their faith based on a practice that they learned rather than, they, than the person that they discovered. They're living out their faith in a practice that they've been told about, that they've learned rather than the person that they've discovered. And one of the things I'm asking today, my prayer for today, is that everybody here, we would have our eyes opened enough to actually start following the person that we discover rather than just the person that we think we should practice a habit with. And so here's Nathaniel. 
He just says, come and see. And in that moment, Jesus is walking up. Now, you, you ever said something about someone, and in that moment, you then turn around and you recognize that they're there? And you're thinking, how do I either get out of this, or you do that awkward laugh? Ha, 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 just kidding. Anybody ever done this before, or am I the only one? Because I do it somewhat on a daily basis. Like, I'm not, not, not mean things, but where I'm just going, oh, okay. Um, like, you know what I'm talking about. You say something, you're like, oh, man, because it just doesn't come out the right way. Well, all of a sudden, he says, what good can come from there? Philip says, just come and see. And then as the guy turns around, here comes Jesus. And you're going, I hope he didn't hear me. Jesus comes up and he says to him, behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. In that moment, if I'm Nathaniel, my shoulders go, ha. He sees an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. In other words, Jesus is acknowledging that he's honest, that he's, he is without deceit. He's teachable. It even goes back all the way. This is referencing going back to Genesis with Jacob and, and others and, going and knowing that Jacob slash Israel is one without deceit. Including, you know, because you got Jacob. Jacob dis- deceived his father and all these different things that's happening. And so for all of a sudden, here's Nathaniel who would have known all this. He's hearing someone who is being claimed as this great teacher, the son of God. He's, he's being told about him. And now he's going, here's this guy who's without deceit. And it's, it would have meant a tremendous amount. And it would have given Nathaniel a picture into who Jesus is. Nathaniel then says, how do you know me? And Jesus says, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And with that, the stereotype and that just phrase in that moment, the stereotype that Nathaniel had of Jesus, and maybe some of you already have a, a picture of who Jesus really is, but in that moment, it was shattered. In that moment, it was shattered. And all of a sudden, he recognizes who Jesus is. Here's a guy who I, th- I believe was a skeptic. But here's the thing he didn't do. He didn't allow skepticism to outweigh discovering who Jesus is. Never allow skepticism to outweigh discovering who Jesus is. Skepticism must never outweigh being able to open your eyes more so that you can see a greater, a bigger picture of who Jesus is. Because I do believe the majority of people today, they're on the trampoline with their eyes closed and they feel like their life is bouncing all over the place and they never know what's next. And what I'm telling you to do, life is a lot easier if you're willing to open your spiritual eyes and see Jesus for who he really is. That's what we want to do. And so here's this skeptic who now is living in faith. Jesus begins to tell him, hey, I saw you with Philip under the fig tree. We even know, you know, there's not a ton of trees over there, but fig trees were certainly something that you would find and you find even today. Um, And you can see a picture of one here. Um, Fig trees were important because um, for the person who is a Jew and Israelite, right, um, this a fig tree was symbolic of the Messianic age. 
A fig tree would have been symbolic of the coming of the Messiah. And so now, Nathaniel is hearing Jesus speak these words about being under a fig tree. That would have been representative of the coming of the Messiah. And now Nathaniel, even more, he's getting it. He's seeing Christ for who he is. And here's his response. All of a sudden, he's calling this out. And Nathaniel's skepticism, his skepticism was turning into belief. And he calls out, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. The King of Israel will be another name for Messiah. You are Messiah. You are the Son of God. You want to talk about an incredible adventure. Here's this guy who starts out with, Nothing good can come from there. But when he encountered Jesus so quickly, his spiritual lens shifted and swung around. And here's one of the 12 disciples who made it to the very end of his life, giving thanks and praise to God, being a disciple of Jesus Christ, seeing him after his resurrection. History would tell us here's a guy who started in skepticism and had such radical faith that he was actually skinned alive and then beheaded for his faith in Jesus Christ. But he would not deny who Jesus was in his life. That is the kind of faith that we want to have. And here's this guy who started as a skeptic. I don't know. I... I, I don't know if I can go there. Here's the question. Are you living in skepticism or faith? Are you living in skepticism or faith? Verse 50 and 51 in this passage. He then says the following. This is Jesus speaking. He says, truly, truly, I say to you. You will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. In Jesus' words here, it's really about um, Jacob's ladder, um, Genesis chapter 28. In Genesis chapter 28, it speaks about that connection, that bridge between heaven and earth, between heaven and earth on whom angels, it tells us in Genesis chapter 28, verse 12, and it speaks about that very bridge that angels would ascend and descend. And now all of a sudden what you're hearing is that Jesus himself is calling out and saying, you know what, I'm the bridge. I'm the bridge. You think it's cool that I know I knew who you were when you're sitting under a fig tree. I'm going to show you cool. Truly I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. He's calling out and he's letting them know, I'm the bridge. I am your access to God. It's the deity of Christ, both fully human, fully divine. And he's going, I'm your access to God. Here's my question is, are you even taking full advantage of saying that you know God? Like if you're just calling, it's, I think sometimes 
I'm telling you, take better advantage of claiming that you know the Son of God. If you're only calling out to Jesus Christ in times of crisis, you're missing out. That's like having everything at your disposal, and you go, yeah, but you know what? I'm just not going to use it unless I absolutely have to. And Jesus is going, no, don't you understand? I'm here for everything. There's nothing that should be separated from me. Are you taking full advantage of knowing the Son of God? Don't cheapen him. Why? Because Jesus is our access to God. And so all of a sudden, here's Nathaniel, and he's moving from skepticism to radical faith. That's what he did. Nathaniel moved from skepticism to this radical faith because, you know what, I I think he's walking around, and he needed to open his eyes spiritually. That's the only reason he would make such a comment, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And yet so quickly he opened his eyes because he encountered Jesus Christ. What are you doing with encountering Jesus Christ? Are you opening your eyes? And even what will it take you to fully commit? Because, man, Nathaniel got it. He got it. I'm going to ask our friends, for Matt and the other guys, to go ahead and come back out. But as they do, I want for you to be able to think of this. For just a moment... I want you to imagine, and if I would have thought about this story before I preached the last service, I'd have a giant trampoline here right now. Matt would be standing on the trampoline doing like this. Because I want you to think about if that's actually reflective of your life at times. Maybe you feel like you're jumping chaotically with your eyes closed on a trampoline and because you're walking through some physical issues that are really hurting. Or maybe because you've got kids going to college. Or maybe because you just lost your job. Or maybe because you have so much um, dysfunction in your family that you just want to have one day without yelling at each other. And here's the thing. I'd like to invite you To open your eyes a little bit bigger when it comes to seeing Jesus. Because he's our access to God. I'd like to invite you to move from skepticism to faith. Some of you are the ones, you're the first to say what the problem is. Rather than seeing what the possibility is. Will you open your eyes? Do you even have the courage? Here's a challenge for you. Do you have the courage to even ask yourself the question, do you need to open your eyes more? Here's the good news. No matter how much you think you've already seen of Jesus, there's more to see. There's more to see. And so God would come before you. 
And we ask that you open our eyes. Because there is a God to see that is full of love and comfort and warmth. Power. And forgiveness. Second chances and third chances. A God of grace. And so we sit with you. Amen. Let's continue to worship.